Easter Sunday came and went, and now we are in the 50 days of Easter. We're so glad you're listening to our podcast. It's a pretty special service that we had on Sunday. There was not a lot of preaching. Some people rejoice in that more than others. But we talked about uh, the reality of resurrection, uh, the literal reality of bodily resurrection. That's uh, a pretty core and key component of Christianity. A lot of churches are lacking firm doctrinal instruction on it. Shouldn't be offensive or exceptional for me to preach such a doctrine, and yet, for many it is. I hope that what you encounter whenever you listen to my sermons, whether this be the first or hundredth time you've done it, I hope that you feel like you are encountering the historic Christian faith. I hope that the things that I'm saying are largely in line with things going back to the very beginning. I believe in the church Catholic, which means the universal church that is beyond any denominational divisions. I believe in historic Christian doctrine and the fact that God does not change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that the Christian task is not in discerning how it is that God is changing, but how it is that God is leading us in his firm, faithful, unchanging way into eternity. So, um, there's, a, there's, a lot that, uh, there's a lot of good that comes in hearing people proclaim the word and spending time in scripture, but just as a general reminder, there are things that you cannot understand or appreciate be changed by unless you are there to be a part of it. We baptized three new believers into the household of God on Sunday. We had the Lord's Supper There are mystical practices that Christ has given us for our edification that can only happen when we're together. So, my prayer for you, and I know we have some people listen who are not regularly attending worship, my prayer for you is that God gives you a hunger to join in the fellowship of the saints. So I I pray that as you're listening to the word that you are moved to confess the truth of Christ and that that truth moves you into fellowship with other believers. God bless you. Enjoy. Welcome to the No Water Methodist Church Podcast, where we hope to encourage you in your spiritual journey so that you may be a blessing to your local church and to the world. Testament reading is from the prophet Jeremiah, chapter 31, verses 1 through 6, which you can find on page 1110 of your pew Bibles. Listen to the word of God. At the same time, saith the Lord, will I be the God of all the families of Israel, and they shall be my people. Thus saith the Lord, the people which were left of the sword found grace in the wilderness, even Israel, when I went to cause him to rest. The Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. Again, I will, I will build thee, and thou shalt be built. O virgin of Israel, 
Thou shalt again be adorned with the tabrets and shall go forth in the dances of them that make merry. Thou shalt yet plant vines upon the mountains of Samaria. Of Samaria. The planters shall plant and shall eat them as common things. For there shall be a day that the watchman upon the Mount Ephraim shall cry, Arise ye, and let us go up to Zion, unto the Lord our God. The Israelites, Judeans, they were not faithful to God. Scripturally, God has already accused them and been right several times that they have been an unfaithful spouse. If you don't know the story of the Hebrews... The nations rebelled against God. He let the, the heavenly rebellious uh, spiritual powers be gods over them. But then he plucked Israel up and he adopted them and he married them. He saved them from slavery in Egypt. He led them through the uh, wilderness into the promised land. He was only ever faithful to them. And yet they cheated on him. And through many prophets, he makes very clear that whenever they worshiped other gods, it was like an unfaithful spouse having sex with someone outside of their, their marriage. But here in verse 4, he says, Again, I will build thee, and thou shalt be built, O virgin Israel. Well, that's something, isn't it? He's talking to an unfaithful spouse saying, I'm going to build you back up, and you're going to be a virgin again. We often look at the promises found in the Bible as some kind of fairy tale. We're told, you know, the, the bodily resurrection. We're going to say the Apostles' Creed here in a bit. One of the things we believe is that even if we die on the last day, our bodies will be raised imperishable and they will be bodies like unto Christ's body. That when he appears, we will see him as he is, for we shall be like him. That's the promise of the scriptures. And we hear that and we go, oh, that's a, that's a nice fairy tale. But what God is promising is not a fairy tale. He is promising to do something that we can't imagine. He's promising to take us, an unfaithful spouse, and make us faithful again, like the sin never happened. That's what the miracle of the cross is. It wipes away our sin. That's what the miracle of the empty tomb is, that we can walk in newness of life. God promises that he can restore us, and then he calls us to be restored. The reason that we get together on Easter and that this is such a, a big important thing, you know, Christmas is not a birthday party for Jesus. Easter is not a, like an anniversary party. Rather, we are rejoicing that Christ did everything necessary for our salvation. There is nothing more for you to do. In fact, there's nothing more you can do. You can't add to what Christ did on the cross through the empty tomb. You can just live in response to it. And that's why any pastor worth his salt is going to tell you that if you understand the resurrection, you understand that today is the day of salvation. Today is the day you live differently. Today is the day that you receive the gift of resurrection seen in the empty tomb. So we're going to have several more readings about that here in, in just, uh, well, right now. We're going to go on to, to Psalm 118. It's going to be on page 839 of your hymnal. And we've sung this passage before. We're going to do Psalm uh, response to. So it's on page 839 of your hymnal, response to it. Here, Whitney, just give her to me. I can lead with her right now.
All right, so it sounds like, uh, go. okay, so I'll sing it through once, and then y'all join me the second time. Do the intro. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice, let us rejoice, let us rejoice and be glad. Be quiet. All right, let's sing that together. Do the intro again, and then we'll come in. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice, let us rejoice, let us rejoice and be glad. The Lord is my strength and my power. The Lord has become my salvation. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord is exalted. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. The Lord has cleansed me sorely and has not given me over to death. Open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice, let us rejoice, let us rejoice and be glad. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone which the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day which the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we beseech you, O Lord. O Lord, we beseech you, give us success. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God who has given us light. Lead the festal procession with branches up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, I will extol you. O give thanks to the Lord who is good. For God's steadfast love endures forever. So Jeremiah's in the Old Testament, the Psalms are in the Old Testament. What Jesus did in the New Testament does not contradict the Old, rather he fulfills the Old Testament. And one of the things that they knew in the Old Testament, even though they didn't imagine how it could be, was that we, these lives we lead, matter. 
They mean something. They, they don't disappear into nothingness, that, that there are consequences for how we live. There is an eternal reality that we are participating in. Uh, anybody here ever truly, deeply loved somebody? When you truly, deeply love somebody, does it feel like someday that love is just going to be dead and like it was never there at all? Is that what it feels like to you? Because when I love, I feel like I'm tapping into something big and eternal that never ends. It's like a, being awash in the... Uh, a huge wave in the, the sea. It's just, when I am really in love, I'm tapping into something much bigger than me. And that's what the reality of life actually is. When we experience these things that overcome us, we're tapping into something very real, much bigger than us. And that's what God leads us in. He, he doesn't give us these lives of meaninglessness that will one day be snuffed out and be forgotten like it never happened. Rather, the lives we lead echo for eternity. The decisions we make matter forever. And even though it seems like one day we will die and nobody will know us, God knows us. And one day we will be judged forever based on how faithfully we have lived and died, whether or not we lived and died in Christ or outside of Christ. This psalm gives a notion of that hankering, that hungering that ancient Hebrews had. I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. David, who wrote the Psalms, knew that God would not abandon him to die forever, but would raise him up on the last day. David knew that. The ancient Hebrews knew that God would not abandon us to death. They didn't know how he would save us from death, but they knew that he could and he would. And lo and behold, that's what Jesus did. That's what we come together and celebrate at Easter. Whenever he died, he descended to the realm of the dead. He kicked death in the teeth. And then by the power of God, he was raised imperishable. And he made the promise that when we walk with him, we would receive the same blessing. That's why the church is here. It's to take people who trust in that and want to live and walk in those ways. And we have the understanding, we have that self-understanding that we can't do that alone. That Christ built his church for us and our salvation, and that we need to walk together in obedience till death. I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. Now, the Lord has chastened me sorely, it says here in verse 18. The Lord has chastened me. That means punished me. I've gone through painful times. He has chastened me sorely, but he has not given me over to death. And in previous weeks, we've been doing the readings pointing to the fact that when we follow God in this life, there will be suffering. Suffering is a part of life. There is no way to get away from suffering. Our job as Christians is to lean into it and trust that God is with us. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for God is with me. His rod and his staff, they comfort me. He's leading me to green pastures and still waters. This is the theme throughout the Bible. We are poor wayfaring strangers traveling through this world of woe, but there's no sickness, toil, or danger in that bright land to which we go. We're going there to see our Father. We're going there no more to Rome. We're only going over Jordan. We're only going over home. And the reason we can have that confidence is because the yearnings of the Hebrews were fulfilled in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let's do our third reading. We, we got a reading from Colossians. I'd welcome that reader forward. Our New Testament reading is from Paul's letter to the church in Colossae, chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, which you can find on 1661. Listen again to the word of God. 
If ye then be risen with Christ, see, seek those things which are above, for Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth, for ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, ye then shall ye also appear with him in glory. The word of the Lord. If ye then be risen with Christ. Who here is risen with Christ? If you are a Christian, a Christian, you are risen with Christ already. When it says ye, it's y'all. You plural. If y'all have been risen with Christ, then seek those things which are above, where Christ sits at the right hand of God. If you are a Christian, you should not be leaving, living your life concerned with worldly things. Things of this world. You shouldn't be concerned with uh, wealth, comfort, influence, politics, family, faith, or you should be concerned with faith, friends, <laughs> sports, war, all these things that the, the world throws at us to make bids for our attention, our affection, our, our, uh, our fear. We are those whose lives are rooted in Christ, who is above, who is beyond all these things. Now, that does not mean that we can't love people around us, but that does mean that everything around us is brought into conformity with our love for Christ Jesus. Our first love sits at the right hand of God. That's where my identity is. My life, is, it says in here, is hid in Christ. Set your affections on things above, not on the things of earth. For you are dead. Have, have, have you died? If you're in Christ Jesus, you've died. Romans 6 could not be more clear that whenever the blood of Christ Jesus is applied to your heart, you are a new creation. You die in Christ and you are raised in Christ. That what we go through symbolically in the waters of baptism, as we die and as we come out, we are a new creation by water and the Spirit. We are a new man, Paul says. We don't live in the old ways. If someone says that they follow Jesus, but they live like people of the world, then what Scripture says is that they are like a dog that goes back to its vomit. Or like a pig that goes back to the mud. It's a disgusting thing because they have been freed from the powers of sin and death. What we're told in Romans is, you know, the only thing that frees you from the power of the covenant that you have in marriage is death, right? You are born in a covenant with sin and death on an assembly line towards hell. But what happens in Christ Jesus is he kills you and raises you back up. That's what he does so that you are freed from your covenant with sin and death and you're able to walk in newness of life. That sounds like a fairy tale. People of the world say, no, 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 no. You're born in sin. You're going to die in sin. There is nothing you can do to change your nature. Doesn't matter that we have 2,000 years of Christian history to prove that, yes, Jesus does change people. Just ignore that and watch TV. Christ changes lives, always has, always will. The Holy Spirit has always transformed people from the inside out. For you are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. That means other people can't see it, right? When something's hidden. There are a lot of people who might look at, look at you and say, well, there doesn't seem to be anything different about the way Susanna lives. She's just like everybody else in the world. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. If your life is hid in Christ, it doesn't matter if other people see it. There's only one matters, and it's God. If your life is hid in him, then on the last day, people will be before his judgment seat, 
And there will be many people who come to him saying, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and do miracles in your name? Wasn't I your number one fan? And he will say, I don't know you. Get away from me, you evildoers. Depart into hell, for the file is prepared for you. But there are many who will come before his judgment seat, and to the surprise of many will hear the words, Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the glory that has been prepared for you. Christians are those who trust in God's power to save despite what the world sees and proclaims as true. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then ye also shall appear with him in glory. Who signed on for that with me? May it be so. Father, hear the intentions of our hearts. Sanctify us. Help us to walk in your ways. Hide our lives in your Son, Christ Jesus, that on the day of salvation we may be welcomed in glory to your kingdom. Amen. Our final uh, reading this morning is the resurrection account according to John. It's on John, in John chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. Listen to the word of God. It's on page 1523 of your pew Bibles. <clears throat> The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early, when it was yet dark unto the sepulcher, sepulcher is an old word for burial site, and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulcher. So if you recall, soldiers came and they knew that it was the prophesied that Jesus would be raised from the dead, so they said, let's cover over the hole to his sepulcher, his, his, his resting place, and seal it. So it took a bunch of soldiers to do this. It's a very heavy stone. And yet she shows up, and it's been unsealed and moved away. So this is a big deal. Then she runneth, and cometh to Simon Peter, and to the other disciple, whom Jesus loved, and saith unto them, They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulcher, and we know not where they have laid him. So does she think he's been raised from the dead? No, she thinks they've stolen his body, which is a very disgusting, dirty, unholy, hateful thing to do. Verse 3, Peter therefore went forth and that other disciple and came to the sepulcher. So they ran both together, and the other disciple did outrun Peter and came first to the sepulcher. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen clothes lying, yet went he not in. So Jesus, whenever he died, his body was wrapped in in linens, right? The cloths, uh, they put aloes and, and stuff on there to keep him from stinking. But then the he's been unwrapped, his body's been unwrapped. Verse 6, then cometh Simon Peter following him and went into the sepulcher and seeth the linen clothes lie and the napkin that was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. And I've seen a thing passed around online that this was a thing that conveyed it is finished. It was a thing you would do with your napkin whenever you were done eating. It's a nice message. I'm not sure it's true. If you like it, hold on to it. It's fine. But Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. So I don't need a metaphor. He said it flat out. But the thing is, you know, if, if there was someone who came and unwrapped a body, you would expect him to just fling all the stuff in the same place. But it's almost as though his body got up. He took one thing off, and they took another thing off, and he got up. Let's see, what verse are we in? We're in verse 8. Okay. Then went in also that other disciple, which came first to the sepulcher, and he saw and believed. For as yet they knew not the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. I don't know why, how he believed, but he didn't understand yet. So I don't know what he believed, but he believed. 
Verse 10, then the disciples went away again unto their own home. But Mary stood without, that means outside, at the sepulcher, weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulcher, and seeth two angels in white sitting, the one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. And they say unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? Is it an insult to call a woman a woman? No. Is it a bad thing to be a woman? No. <laughs> why would it be an insult? So uh, a lot of people look at they didn't call her by her name. Yeah. Give me a break. They didn't mean it as an insult. Woman, why weepest thou? She saith unto them, because they have taken away my Lord, and I, not know, I do not know where they have laid him. Can you imagine what it would be like if, if someone dug up your loved one's body? Do you imagine how mortified you would be? Verse 14, and when she had thus said, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing and knew not that it was Jesus. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? She, supposing him to be the gardener, saith unto him, Sir, if thou hast borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus saith unto her, Mary. She turned herself and saith unto him, Rabboni, which is to say, Master. Jesus saith unto her, Touch me not. For I am not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend unto my father and to your father, to my God and to your God. He, he can say that because people who follow him are inducted into his family. God, his father, is now our father. He is now our brother. He says, I'm going to where I told y'all are going. Verse 18, Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. This is the word of the Lord. Now, there's a lot in here that a lot of pastors are going to talk about the symbolism of the napkin. They're going to talk about the symbolism of one disciple outrunning the other and the other catching up and going in. I don't know about all that. What I do know is I am terrified of being in Mary's position where Jesus appears to me and I have no idea who he is. Remember, Mary was one of his followers, wasn't she? And yet when the risen Lord appeared to her, she thinks he's the gardener. The reality of the faith today is that there are a lot of people who cry out, Lord, Lord, to Jesus. They say that they are believers, and yet, on the day of his coming, they will not recognize him. And he won't recognize them. My prayer, selfishly for me, but then also for all of us, is that we are so awash in the scriptures, we are walking so faithfully in life, that when Christ appears, we don't think for a second that he's the gardener that we know him exactly for who he is. I grew up thinking I knew who Jesus was. I was what is called a nominal Christian. That means a Christian in name only. I was not conformed to the scriptures. I didn't care to be. I believed that truth was to be found in lots of places, not just in the Christian faith. But one day, like Jesus did with Mary, he spoke to me and he said, Jeffrey, and he called me to him, and my eyes were opened, and I've been following ever since. There are a lot of people who don't know that difference between nominal Christian faith and true Christian faith. Our eyes have been blinded so that we think we're right with God, but when Christ appears, we're not going to know him. The exhortation today is to wake up from your slumber. You might think you know him. You might think you love him. Make sure it's true. Amen? Amen.